and I was on a double date, and I tried like some super spicy hot wing. It never goes well, does it? You're on a double date, and you're like, "This is what I'm gonna try." The <laughs> yeah, I'll impress this girl. Possible. And I remember going pee, and I'd wash my hands. I'd wash my hands, but I remember going pee, and I know there was hot sauce on my fingers. But if you've got a penis, you know that the penis is very sensitive. Anyway, I remember going pee and then sitting down later and then starting to just sweat because it felt like someone had like poured lava in my crotch. Wait, so <laughs> you hadn't? Did you wash your hand before you touched your dick? I'm pretty sure I did. I'm pretty wow. sure I washed my hands first. Buddy. <laughs> anyway, those are my three hot sauce stories. Man. And you? Uh, well. I'm uncomfortable just thinking about the penis being on fire. Yeah, you know, I really should have just, like, not touched it. I should have just, like, done the Superman pee. So the, the, I've never Superman pee's where you put your hands on your hips and you pee. (laughs) There was a guy who was a VP at the first company I ever worked at at a university. And he always, he was, like, he was the classic creepy older guy in his 50s who thought he was, like, hot shit. And would, like, inappropriately flirt with, like, the attractive females in the office. And he always... Did the no hands pee and just as the loud Superman as possible? Pee? Yeah, it was just and it was weird. Like I remember being in the bathroom, like washing my hands, and he'd come in and just be like, like he made a little show of it, he'd be like ah, and just like <laughs> the old man noise ah, and just like start zip. And I was just like, I'm uncomfortable. Like I feel like this isn't even for me, but is it? Like you're just putting. I feel like you're putting on a show right now. Like, I remember walking into like a public bathroom in a mall somewhere, and the first time I ever saw a man doing the Superman pee. I just called that. I don't know if that's... Does that make sense? Call it like... You know, like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. With the hands on the side. I also wonder if it's because they feel like Superman because they're like... I presume they feel like they're... They're hung well enough that they're like, I can just let this... <laughs> I, just, I remember just him just, just peeing like this against against the toilet and being like, Dad, why is he peeing like that? And my dad was like, shh, don't point at other people in the bathroom or something like that. But uh, <laughs> I just, you know... Again, no splash I did not back. see the... I did not see the conversation going this way. Um, Okay, let's take a stab at explaining why we called our podcast Album Versus Album. So, Album Versus Album was initially conceived as a podcast where... Both Lucas and I would take a band, could be a band that we find, uh, you know, very beloved, or it could be a band that is a little more niche, or it could just be a very popular band. But we both pick a record, and then basically well, pit them against Taylor each other. Let's use Taylor Swift as an example. <laughs> so let's say you thought her best album was 1989, is that and what? I thought her best album was Red. We'd pit those albums against each other in an all-out war discussion. Mm-hmm. And leave it to the listeners to decide which was the better album. And we did that. Our very first episode was Radiohead. I picked OK Computer. You picked... In Rainbows. And it was great. We had a lot of fun. But we realized, sort of after the initial episode, that what was fun was just discussing the music and the things we enjoyed about it and the history we'd had with the music. And we're like, you know, really, it's like... There doesn't need to be a winner here. It's really just about the discussion of the music as well. Just talking about music... We're all winners. <laughs> it's still the album that we're talking about versus all the other albums in the canon of this band. And the Velvet Underground, who we're talking about tonight, is an incredible example of that. Where A very incredible example. So Loaded, 
pitting loaded against the rest of the canon and arguing for where it stands. Um, and granted, this is, these are all, of course, our opinions. But uh, this is the, the new stance on what the album versus album concept yes. really means. So, Loaded. Velvet Underground's fourth record. Fourth record. Velvet Underground's fourth record. Do you mind if I just jump into telling you about my personal story? Because it's quick. Oh, I'd love to, I'd love to hear it. So, I grew up in the suburbs of Vancouver, mm-hmm. a place called Surrey. And I used to, when I graduated, I got a job in a warehouse. And I used to transit for an hour there every morning and an hour back. So I had two hours. So I bought a Discman. I bought some nice, big headphones, Mm -hmm. and I would just listen to CD after CD. I still miss CDs, by the way. That's I'm going to mention that every time I think it comes up. I would go to this little record store at the Surrey Central Station Mm -hmm. called A&B Sound. Do you know A&B Sound? Oh, yeah. I believe it's out of business now, but the one in Surrey Central had a very cool section called, like, Indie. And so I got in this really good habit of going there, taking an album I really wanted, like the new Beck album, Sea Change, at the time. I'd be like, oh, cool, it's out now, I'll buy it. But they always had, like, staff picks. Mm -hmm. And this guy that was a staff, I believe his name was Rob, he had hair down to, like, his belly button. He told me one day after I'd been going there for months, he's like, have you ever heard of Velvet Underground? And I was like, no. He said, okay, buy this record and it was the Andy Warhol banana one. Oh yeah. So I bought that and then just to seem cool I was like I just grabbed loaded as well. So that was my those two albums at once. Hmm. Kind of the beginning and end yeah. of the Velvet Underground all at once. So that's my connection with the album. And so to me, if you listen to and the Andy Warhol record and Loaded, it's like two different bands basically. Basically. Oh, completely. But that's my story of coming into this album. I just, I got it, and and to be honest, I, I always kind of liked Loaded more, because it reminded me of like the Beatles, the Stones bands I was more comfortable with. But, uh, I mean, that'll be a different episode when we talk about the Andy Warhol record. Mm. I mean, what an album cover, right? Just a banana. But uh, yeah, that was my intro, and and I have to say, like driving, I was I always take transit. Every day, and I would listen to Loaded on the way to work, on the way back, and I've just, even in the last two weeks listening to this record, I think I like it more than I ever did. So would you li- would you basically listen to Loaded twice in one day? Like you'd listen to it on the way to work and then on the way back? Not always. I, I usually had four or five CDs in my backpack, and I'd kind of sift through, but I just loved Loaded. I thought it was such a great record. I thought the album cover's so funny. Yeah, I, I just I, I don't know something about it. Just it was I was drawn to it. You know, th- there's obviously so much that we found out about this record mm-hmm. that totally like I was just ignorance is bliss in this case. Honestly, I I feel that way too. It's like for me, my my background with Loaded is um, I was introduced to it by my brother, and I was texting with him. Mason, Mason, Mason. <laughs> yes, Mason Judy. Hopefully he'll be a guest on the show sometime. I was considering asking him to be a guest on this episode, but uh, we're not quite at guest 
spots yet, but he will be We're so close. He will be a great guest uh, in the future. Absolutely. But, but yeah, what was interesting was like when uh, when Mason and I were in high school, like we were both very we we were always close growing up and then we moved to Brandon, Manitoba and then we both started going to public school. We were homeschooled up until then. And so I was starting grade 9 and he was starting junior high. And there was like about a year where we like were kind of we drifted apart a bit um in a new town and he was making we were both making new friends and well he was making new friends i was just playing a lot of like pokemon on my game boy um, <laughs> who wasn't though well wanted to catch that mewtwo it was i don't know if there's mewtwo i was i had was pokemon blue that was the one i, I had I, i'm trying to sound like i know what i'm talking about i don't i had a squirtle that i kept up to a level 100 <clears throat> that i never let evolve because i just thought he was so cute he evolves into blastoise right yeah but i didn't want him to I just wanted to be, you just kept him. I got so him he's to like the strongest squirtle in town. Absolutely strongest squirtle in town. <laughs> I remember hanging out with him, and he pulled out Loaded, and he showed me the cover. And at the time, I remember him saying, "Like, I want to get a tattoo of this album cover. I just think Ooh, it's great." I'm glad he didn't. It would be very hard to pull off as a tattoo, and I agree. I'm glad that he he did not get that. Is the tattoo. idea like everyone is on the subway? Everyone on the subway is doing drugs. Smoking weed. So, in doing research for this podcast, what I came to find out is that, um, you know, Warhol was very influential in all of the sort of um, album art that came up to this record. But as they as they kind of continued on as a band and they got away from the factory and Warhol, they kind of got away from his influence in on the artistic side as well. And so this album cover was actually done um, by a gentleman whose name I'm blanking on, but I do have it written down uh, somewhere. It's, we'll uh, find it later. We'll find it later. Um, but basically, it's a guy that did a lot of album art for the record label that uh, Velvet Underground were on. And so, it, interestingly, and this kind of ruined it a little bit for me. It didn't ruin it, but it changed how I viewed it, where it was a guy who didn't really know who the Velvet Underground were. And he basically did an artistic interpretation of what he thought Velvet Underground was. So it's actually the idea of, like, it's the underground of New York City with you know, a purple haze coming out of it, you know. That is less cool than I thought. Yeah. But it also kind of represents this album. It kind of works. In one sense, I'm like, I really like how it looks. It's very of the time. It's very, like, it's a little groovy, you know. It's not super groovy, but it's a little groovy. Dude, groovy is the best word for it. And I don't know that the Velvet Underground ever wanted to be groovy. Like, I think they were uh, probably they anti A little bit on this album, they might have been trying. Well, this be... album, they wanted to be groovy, for sure. But, sorry, so your brother your brother gave you the record. So, Mason turned me on to this record and played me the CD. And I remember liking it. Um, I remember feeling like it was, like, a lot. Like, it's kind of, I felt like it was a bit all over the place. But I remember really liking it. But... I remember not really getting into the Velvet Underground until like maybe five or six years later. And Loaded was the first record that I really got into. And I have the, uh, the LP of it up right now. And that's one that, uh, it's the first one that I bought. It's the only Velvet Underground record I have. But it's one where I, uh, back in the era of like burning MP3 CDs, I still have a car that only plays CDs. So I remember I put like the Velvet Underground uh, self-titled record and the Velvet Underground and Nico on a few different MP3 CDs. And I remember I've listened to I've listened to their whole, the first, well the four records I've listened to a lot. 
but my favorite by far is the soft titled one. That was the one that I came back to, like Pale Blue Eyes. Like, oh like, yeah, Pale Blue Eyes is their top song for sure. Like the, just the softer kind of. Yeah, I agree. It's like the softer, more like heavenly type songs are the ones that were my favorite. But I remember when every time I've listened to Loaded, um, just the songs on it, the rock, like the rock and like rock and roll, Sweet Jane, like these are just undeniably incredible uh, rock songs. And I just remember being really drawn to them. I think when I first listened to them, I couldn't tell if they were genuinely like killer rock songs or if they were trying to be like ironic. Like I wasn't sure. It's like someone who you're like, you're clearly very smart, you're clearly very talented, but like, I don't know if I'm in on the joke yet. And it I really, me. I literally, look at my top note. Is Lou Reed having a laugh at our expense? <laughs> we're on the same, we are at, uh, we're on the same page here. So when you first heard it, did you think, like when you heard the first song, like Who Loves the Sun, like, did you feel like that, could you tell that was ironic back in the day? When I first heard it, I thought, oh, this is like their album, their commercial album. That's what I thought. When you first heard it, you just assumed this was like the commercial record. I yes, but I also thought because it's old. Like, again, I was younger, but when I heard, you know, ba 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 ba, who loves us? I was like, oh, they're just doing what was cool at the time, which was kind of mm-hmm. like Beach Boys, Beatles, Stone. Yeah. Let's make a record that's a hit. Yeah. Let's get some radio singles. Let's make some money. Mm-hmm. Let's make let's make some of that sweet sweet. Which is weird. Well, you know, in, in, in the reading I did for this, I didn't realize how not well off they were. Like, they did not have a lot of money. Like, when they were doing Loaded, like, they were the equivalent of, like, a, a writer, like, living off of the advance on their first novel, where, like, the record label doesn't really know if they're going to be a success or not. And I think with Velvet Underground, like, they had all this critical acclaim, but they didn't have a lot of record sales. This is a quote from Lenny Kay from 1970. He uh, wrote this in the Rolling Stone. And I thought this was an excellent summation of, like, um, basically why, like, the Velvet Underground never really achieved full success. He says, and I quote, The Velvet Underground unloaded are more loose and straightforward than we've yet seen them. There is an undercurrent to the album that makes it more than any mere collection of good time cuts. Lou Reed's music has always concerned itself with the problem of salvation, whether it be through drugs and decadence, as on the Velvet Underground and Nico, or pseudo-religious symbolism, like Jesus, or I'm beginning to see the light. Now, however, it's as if he's decided to come back where he most belongs. Each cut on the album, regardless of its other merits, is first and foremost a celebration of the spirit of rock and roll. All pounded home is straight and true as an arrow. Head held high is the kind of joy shatter that just begs to be played at top volume. Train round the bend should satisfy all you hard blues fanatics out there, while Lonesome Cowboy Bill deserves a hallowed place on your favorite AM station. If Atlantic fails to get a top 40 hit out of any of these, especially the last, they might think well of overhauling their entire corporate setup. Wow. Yeah. It's like a compliment and a burn at the same time. Well, and in my opinion, this is a... It's a solid classic rock record. I definitely definitely think Who Loves the Sun, there's got to be some Beatles call out on this. Mm-hmm. It sort of has a Beatles vibe. It kind of reminds me of the song Here Comes the Sun. So In so its format. 
It's actually a response to "Here Comes the Sun." Okay, good. They're because... making fun of that. That they're making fun of that song. Okay, well, that's good. I don't feel as dumb now. Uh, okay, that's great. I I feel very justified because it even has a very similar musical breakdown. Can we also note that this song has a fade out? It's a theme on this record. There's a quote about Velvet Underground where they talk about the first album, Velvet Underground and Nico, and it says something along the lines of, for every record they sold, a band started. Hmm. Like, they're a band, they're a band that inspired people and challenged their ideas of music mm-hmm. and was like, Pushing the boundary, they weren't so much a commercially viable band as much as just a band that was like doing something original. This is to me, if this was just a new band that put this record out, it would definitely be a popular record, I think, because the songs are good. Oh, great. But as a Velvet Underground record, it feels kind of weird. Yeah, and I think it's interesting because I think for me, this being the first record I heard, I didn't have the preconception of what I thought a Velvet Underground record should or shouldn't be. Yeah. And I think that um, even in doing some of the research for this, it was interesting that that the the VU were so regarded by who were essentially the, the hipster elite of New York at the time. Where they yeah. were this the original hipsters. This beloved band who people had all these very strong ideas about what selling out was or wasn't you know again i don't want to speak too much about the history of this because i don't know a ton about the background but it's even interesting that john kale was like say an interest like an integral member a founding member of velvet underground he and left before a this record. very respected musician huge like he went out on to make a few good solo records and and still he's making really cool music now and he's not part of this album no doug Eulis. So, Doug, is he ever? Is he ever? Never heard that name before until you told me about this. But you can see on the back of this record where it talks about the lineup. This is what uh, Lou Reed contested and was changed in later Because he was the third. But Doug Ewell is listed first, Sterling Morrison is second, Lou Reed, Mo Tucker, and then um, Bill Ewell, who, is, who did some of the drumming on this. But yeah, but Doug Ewell was up top with like organ, piano, bass, drums, lead guitar, acoustic guitar, vocals, lyrics, and song composition. Lou Reed is rhythm guitar, piano, vocals, lyrics, and song composition. And that was the one because he left. And that's actually on the back of this record. That's Doug Yule. And this is a quote from Lou Reed. No slur on Doug, but he didn't understand the lyrics for a second. Wait, I don't want to gloss over the fact first, but I, I didn't even know who Doug Yule was. I'd never heard the name Doug Neither Yule. Neither have I. I always assumed that all of Velvet, uh, like every Velvet Underground song was Lou Reed singing. And Me too, except when it was Nico. Except and Nico, obviously, yeah, for sure, and like, but Lou Reed still wrote all of these songs, and he sung a lot of them. But he had Doug um, as a part of the band, who was like this young, energetic, really just like happy to be involved type of guy. But yeah, it's like, but but you're right. As soon as it's sort of like, oh, it's that's not Lou Reed, then then you can kind of hear it. But otherwise, you're just like, oh, it's yeah. just like Lou Reed singing in a slightly higher voice or whatever. Like the, like their voices are very similar. Who loves the sun? Sweet nothing. New age. Just the three. Just the three. Yeah. yeah. Hashtag you mule. Mule mule. But also because he played a, so many instruments. He played so many instruments. He did song composition. And I think to be fair, Lou Reed was checking out of the band at this point. Like I think yeah. it was one of those things where, uh, as so this is interesting because we have both had experiences running and being the front men of creative endeavors. So you were the lead singer and the lead songwriter for a band for a very long time. I 
was a co-founder of a, a writing collective that put on shows and, and sort of poetry nights with, uh, with a very good mutual friend of ours. I would have meetings with like the key people in the group where they would have input, but it would ultimately be me to be like, we're doing this, we're not doing this. Like, this is the creative, like, driving the creative vision yeah. while always trying to keep people bought in. Yeah, it's very weird that you can love something so much, be part of its creation, but also in one moment just not care at all. And so it's so interesting that Lou Reed walked away at this stage. And that Doug Ewell went on to make another album under the moniker of Velvet Underground. So interesting little tidbit there I found Squeeze. out. So Squeeze... Very vulgar record cover. Um, so Squeeze came about... Um, so this is something that uh, I also found out in this delicious book I got out of the library. don't know why I just use the word delicious. Because it, it looks very delicious. But it's called White Light, White Heat, The Velvet Underground Day by Day. And it's by uh, Richie uh, Unterberger. But basically I just want to say that Nico, the photo of Nico, she's a beautiful woman. She's very attractive. Um... But it's crazy. Like, every page is three columns just jammed with text. Like, it's like you're reading the newspaper. Um, but it goes into an incredible amount of detail. I just read the section on, on Loaded to try and find information. Like, in the recording of Loaded, the, the name actually came from the record label telling Lou Reed, we want an album from the Velvet Underground loaded with hits. So they were like, cool, we'll just call it Loaded. And they literally were trying to load this entire record with as many hits as possible. Which is weird because... There are a lot of songs on this record that probably could have been hits. Can I tell you something about the album Squeeze? Mm-hmm. I've never listened to it once. I never have either. I didn't even know what, oh. I didn't even know it existed. Uh, neither did I. The album cover's great though. What's the album? It really. Well, I'll show you, and I would like you to describe it when I show it to you. Okay. Oops. You tell me what this album cover is. Wow. That's the Empire State Building. Wow. And that's a hand gripping it. But it's definitely got... Uh, it's an incredibly phallic looking album it's, cover. It's definitely the vibe is that a guy is grabbing a giant phallic member. Yes. That's exactly <laughs> what it looks like. That's awful. Yeah. and it, But it looks a lot like the Loaded album cover as well. It looks like a cheap version of the Loaded cover. Yeah. You know what I mean? Even the yeah. font. Like, it just looks cheap. Ugh. Ugh. I wonder if it's good. Well, one day we'll review it. One day. I remember once we were at a brewery right after my daughter was born. We, my wife was like, I've been pregnant for nine months. I'd like to have a beer. And we went there, and the first song they played, because we, we got there as they opened. It's great, great day. <laughs> just, just waiting for the brewery to open? We actually sat outside till they opened the door at Strange Fellows. Oh, wow. The girl opened the door, she served us our beer, she pushed play, and it was this Who Loves the Sun. Oh, wow. So I think I have a little bit of a biased memory because I was holding like my newborn daughter. And I remember this woman came in, in about 20 minutes later, and she was like, oh, how old's your baby? And my wife was like, 12 hours. <laughs> this would be a good, like, this is the type of record you can put on Loaded. I would argue at almost any party, no one's going to be not into it. Yeah, no one's going to really notice it. And it gives you, like, the, the variance. But I would say, like, even you started with, like, Who Loves the Sun. It's catchy. It's like you said earlier, it, it's, like, Beach Boys reminiscent. But yeah. I just, but I feel like this song for me just, it, it, it gets a little thin. It almost makes you think that you're missing out. Because it feels so much like a song that everyone should know. And you're like, I don't know this song. 
But it feels like Beach Boys. If, if it's like, oh, I don't know this Beach Boys song or whatever. Sweet Jane, there's that amazing cover by the Cowboy Junkies. I don't know that cover. I do not like the Cowboy Junkies, but their cover of Sweet Jane is great. So I actually knew the Cowboy Junkies version first. Interesting. And then when I heard this version, I was like, oh. It's kind of cool. Like a spiritual cover is kind of cool. Um, so you were telling me this is actually the sequel to I'm Waiting for My Man. Yeah. Because I, I standing in the corner is uh, standing on the corner is the same thing. Well, I think suitcase in my hand. Uh, I'd have to pull up the. Uh, can you pull it on my computer? Uh, so, Sweet Jane, I think, is arguably like the, one of the greatest songs this band ever wrote. And, like, it's just an incredible rock and roll song. So, like, when they were doing the recording sessions for this, um, Lou Reed was pushing himself constantly. Like, he was, like, pushing his vocal, like, uh, levels to the limit. And you can hear it on this song, on rock and roll, but it's just like. You know, you can just hear his voice. Like, it, like, I love how his voice sounds in this in this song, and I think this song benefits so much from the the recording as well. Oh man, what what I wrote down about this song is like, you're so right. There's so many vocal treats. He just does all these little things, other than sing. Like he goes like, ooh, and like, just watch me now, and all these little, just. I call them vocal treats. I don't know what else you call them. This song, I feel like there's too many good parts. It just can't even keep up with how good I know. Um, there was a great line I read in one of the reviews of Switch In where it was a, quote, superbly raunchy riff rocker. So that was <laughs> the best line for the song. Second song with a fade out. Interesting. So, yeah. what you, so, what, so you clearly <clears throat> took notice of this. What do you think is with the fade out? Because I think fade outs are the worst way to end a end song. Interesting. Why? Fade outs don't exist anymore, really. I just think it's it's like you don't know how to end the song, so you just fade it out. Interesting. You know, you don't want to just end it with like a... Mm. Or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, so rock and roll. Next track on the album, rock and roll. To me, everything about this song is obvious. It's kind of like a big uh, stadium anthem. Mm-hmm. That's not bad. I mean, he, he did say in the line, you know, her life was saved by rock and roll. Yeah. He does say that in this song. So I don't Despite know. all the amputations. Um, I, I, do, I do think uh, the ending of the song, the ending is so rowdy. I love it. Oh, God. And the guitar solo in the song has such a great melody. It's like, to me, this, this stands up to like a, like a big, like, a, like one of the bigger like Rolling Stones hits. It's mm-hmm. got that vibe to me. Mm-hmm. This is one that I can just listen to like, over and over like Sweet Jane to this they're just like like when I feel like I'm like I don't love Who Loves the Sun but it's like alright and then you go into like Sweet Jane and then rock and roll and you're like yes like it's just like they just there's an energy to them that I think is just hard to you just can't really deny it she puts on a New York station you know she don't believe what she heard at all she started shaking to that fine fine music you know her I remember going to like a local show when I was like 14. It was like a punk rock show. I told my parents I was sleeping at my friend's house, but we went out to this like local punk rock show. And the opener was this acoustic guy, and he's like, walks on stage and he plays a song, and it's whatever. And then he's like, this next song is about life. And then he starts playing. (laughs) 
And I remember, you know, the, the thing that's dumb about it is that I'm pretty sure I was like, yeah, man. So there is this general consensus that Lou's departure plays into Loaded Not Doing All. Um, the first big success from this record came six months after the record came out because rock and roll was included on the rock and roll high school film. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. So that was how, oh. they, that, that was how they actually got the most acclaimed. Rock and roll high school. Never seen that movie. So I haven't either, but rock and roll high school was... We should watch this it song. together. We should watch it. But I'm it's saying, a date. It's, <laughs> like, that's where I just find it crazy, where I'm like, okay, like this incredible rock and roll song, you, you got to picture people like watching that movie and be like, oh my God, what is this record? Well, the chorus is so good that it was all right. It fits right in there with like any other big rock anthem of the time. 100%. Late like, 70s rock. You couldn't be a kid in 1970 and hear the song, and if you were into this type of music, you'd be like, this is one of the best rock songs I've ever heard. For me, Cool It Down is saved completely by the chorus. I honestly, For me. I know. I like Cool It Down. For me, without, one... without the Cool It Down part, the song is, I would skip it probably. I would go over to my record, I'd lift up the needle and skip it. Do you think people did that with records? Didn't like a song and they go take the needle? Well, they'd have to. Because like with a Discman, you'd push skip. See, this song, when I was going through, I was having such a hard time picking zeros and heroes for this. Mm-hmm. And I thought this might be one of the songs. And I listened to it again and I was like, no, this is a great song. Like, not well, like one of their best songs, but like this is like an incredibly engaging song. But it's it draws me in. It's a song where I feel like I enjoy listening to it. You know, I do. Th- the the L O V E thing is like it's cheesy. It's a trope. It's a rock and roll trope. But it, like, I I honestly think out of out of the song that I don't really like, it's kind of funny. I don't. I think it's kind of it's it's kind of cool when he spells it L O V E with that kind of like. Tongue in cheek attitude. That's what I mean. So my whole problem with this record was like even like um, songs that I was like I'm not sure. It's like it's also tongue in cheek. Like it's so hard to take seriously what they're actually like what Lou Reed is actually saying because you're like you're like oh I don't like this line but you're like but you can tell he kind of means it ironically. So you're like well I don't like it but I also know he's like making a comment with that. So like then what is that? You know what I mean? It kind of fucks with your ability to like objectively be like, well, I don't, I don't like this, but it's also like part of it's like he's kind of means for you to not like it in a way, you know? Okay, New Age. Now, New Age is a song, the more I listen to, every time I listen to the record, this song I like more. Mm-hmm. What's really funny to me about this song, Can I have your autograph? Uh, he says to, to the, fat, the blonde actress. Fat blonde actress. Fat um, people fat. The thing about this so, song... Sung, sung by Doug Yule. Yeah, this is a Doug Yule song again. Due to vocal fatigue for Lou Reed. I wouldn't have known until you told me. I. But what I think is so impressive about this song, this song has so many good parts to it. So the song Sweet Jane, the chorus is, Sweet Jane! Right? Just that part. This one has... I'll come running to you, honey, when you want me. That's already a good enough chorus. And then the next part that I think would also be a good chorus for any other classic rock song is that something's got a hold on me and I don't know what. That would be a good 
chorus for like anyone else. That's a great hook. And then that weird part that's like, it's the beginning of a new age. It's like having three choruses in one song. Mm -hmm. I just think the song is funny. It's got like, it's loaded, no pun intended, mm -hmm. with like too much good stuff. Again, a fade out. There is some contention that um, New Age also had some edits done as well that Lou Reed says were because of Doug Yule, and Doug Yule says that is actually Lou Reed came in and cut stuff out to make it as sort of catchy and, and, and something to draw you in as possible. Um, so specifically, the two songs he calls out are New Age and Sweet Chain in this interview with Pat Thomas. Huh. Because he basically says that um, I think there was more to the song, which maybe with your comment about the three choruses is very insightful. Because I think it was meant to be a lot longer, and there's probably more parts in it. And he was just like, no, let's cut this out. Yeah, there's definitely a disjointed feeling to the song where you're like, man, they're really, they're really trying to jam a lot of flavors into one uh, cake. Well, and doesn't this whole record feel like that a little bit in it kind does, of a yeah. good way? If the flavors you're trying to jam into my cake taste good, I don't really care if there's too many of them. Mm -hmm. And that's the kind of amazing thing about this record is there's points where you're like, this song almost jumps to the next part, but then it's all good. Every part's good and satisfying, so you're like, okay. But this song, I imagine, probably had some more breathing room to it originally. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. too bad. Well, yeah, I'd love to hear it. Yeah, and that's it on Reloaded. There are all kinds of versions of all these songs, almost too, uh, like almost uh, too much. It's too much. I couldn't dig into all of them. I also wonder: is there a real fat blonde actress he's talking about? Hmm. I mean, I don't think so. I think if I'm Lee Reed, I'm probably looking at like, like it would be like if you wrote this song now. Like if Lucas is like writing a comment about, you know, people who are seeking the attention of, of you know, famous people or trying to get attention on Instagram. And it's like, you're sort of taking like a stereotype, but someone who's over the hill and isn't quote unquote necessarily like maybe as, um, I think what makes it interesting is that it's a fat blonde actress who's like, clearly like no longer the desirable figure she was but this mm. person is still like i desire your autograph i desire to be connected to you because that's going to give me value over the hill right now and you're looking for love yeah that makes sense and she's also looking to be connected with you know so uh head held high um yeah, this is one where i'm like i like the song a lot but i felt like like it's like one of those ones where it's like it's, it seems kind of simple maybe deceptively simple but you're like it's 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 catchy it's uh, catchy but i have to say like this one is the maybe even more obvious than the rest like at first i thought oh it sounds like a rolling stone song mm -hmm. and then the bridge kind of has like oh it sounds like the who has like a really and then it also has some led zeppelin moments the ending is awesome to the song. Yeah. The musical ending is rad. And also, another fade out. Just like New Age, and just like Sweet Jane and Who Loves the Sun, and Rock and Roll. This is also the start of side two. So I think it's important to recognize that like side one is a bit, of a, a bit more of a mixed bag in terms of styles and, and focus points. And I think side two really feels, feels much more, a bit more cohesive. The, the five songs on side two. What do you think? Interesting. Uh, now that you say it, yeah, it actually feels a little bit more like a Stones record or something. 
this feels like a Stones B-side to me, like a bit. For sure. Like where it's it's got this kind of energy, it's got these lyrics that kind of draw you in are relatable, but they're... Like Lou Reed, I, I don't know, it's, it's so unique because it's like he, even on a song like this where you're like, it's not, you could argue his best writing, but it's also like, you know, how many songs can you compare to like a Sweet Jane or, you know... Um, pale blue eyes like it's like it's it's a different type of song yeah it's like like how does the song uh succeed in the merits of what it's trying to be and i think it actually succeeds quite well but it also just means that the song is not inherently super interesting but it's engaging i'd say it's trying to be something else what do you think it's trying to be like a rock and roll hit of the time you don't think it's it's succeeding quite remember well? that quote i said where it's like all their old albums were kind of like paving the way and this one was just of the time. Lonesome Cowboy Bill. Lonesome Cowboy Bill gives me the another Beatles vibe. It kind of reminds me of like Rocky Raccoon in those I, songs. I had to ask the question to myself because like the, the thing contextually we want to remember too is like when they did this record, these types of songs are very popular. Like mm. this is like country AM, kind of like like a country rock song. Almost maybe even a little bit of a parody of what... Because Velvet Underground, I don't think we're ever supposed to make... A country rock song, but also they could and they did. They did, and you they know sure what? did. It's a pretty good song, I'd say. Like I, I this was it's a, song, a fun song. It's fun. It's a song I was it? considering for zero, but then I listened to it again a few times, and I was like, "This is actually I really like this song. I enjoy it. Like I enjoy listening to the song because it's, um, it's very like we're this is now this type of song you're listening to, and it, I feel like it succeeds in what it's trying to be. I will say it's quite a wild musical ride. It goes a lot of places. It, it sure does. It does. And then also, another fade out. Another fade out. What are you, what so are you basically thinking what about they these do fade outs? Is, it's, like, it's like the band just kept playing, and then someone just slowly turns down the volume. It just doesn't make sense. So can I, can I read a little section from White Light White Heat here about yeah. this song? It's tempting to view Lonesome Cowboy Bill as a knowing country rock satire, but it should be remembered that country sensibilities aren't entirely alien to the Velvet Underground, as indicated by the Hank Williams-like inflections on some of their July 1965 demos, and perhaps even Reed's vocal on the 1969 outtake, One of These Days. This might be a mere trifle in the overall scheme of the group's work, but it's an engaging, catchy, galloping romp. Which I think is an interesting take. Lonesome Cowboy Bill. Okay, so I will say, I think the lyrics are shit to this song. (laughs) <laughs> I think the lyrics of this song are so boring and the fade out is like right just proves it but so you like this song less than train going around the bed ooh okay found a reason I, this now is, this I love this has song. been a song I loved for since since I first the first listened to this record I love this song you too let's sing let's sing this record ba oh ba <laughs> Okay, this song to me is transcendent because it is like it's kind of a doo wop because he has that talking verse, honey. I found a reason to keep living, and the reason, dear, is you. He's kind of mocking like this doo wop. It's so great. Mm-hmm. I love this song. Every totally. line of the song I find is like just dripping with sweet, sweet honey. Mm. I love it. I love this song. I love this song so much. 
I do believe you are what you perceive. What comes is better than what came before. I like, do you be- could dance to this at your wedding. I wish I did. You could. <laughs> You're the one who still could. We're not doing a dance. We're not doing, like, Our a first dance. Our first dance was to... Uh, I was there. Bro. The band Cults. Oh, I remember that. And the song is called Know, it, know What I Mean, which I still stand by. Great song. It's a good song. Yeah. yeah. I mean, great song, I don't know. But, like, I mean, it was I'm, I'm, great for your wedding. It's great for me. And then we did the uh, Will Smith rap. <laughs> Getting jiggy with it. But you yeah. have the... You have the you got to watch mine and say, I'm never going to do that. I will do this. No, I thought I thought you had a great wedding, and I would argue you had a great wedding now. If you had that wedding this mm. summer, I'd be stoked on it. Beer pong at a wedding. I mean, what can you be wrong with that? I know. I found a reason to keep living. And the reason is you. Found a way to make it all stop repeating. And the reason is you. Um, I love this song. I don't have much more to say than that. I just think it's a beautiful song. And I, I wish I wish that Lou Reed had made more. I know it's probably, again, tongue-in-cheek, but it feels so earnest. I love it. That's the thing I think we have to give Lou Reed credit for, is that he also was an earnest guy that was trying to share stuff. Like, this This is the song. Like, I sent this to Laura earlier today in thinking about tonight, but also just being like, this is like a song where it's like, you want to tell your sweetie you love them. It's yeah. like... But we got to remember, the first track off the first record is Sunday Morning. Yeah. Sunday Morning. It's a beautiful song. Starts with the music box. Do you think that Hoobastank ripped this song off? <laughs> what? I found a reason to be, no. and the reason is you. No? No. no. Remember that song? No, no, no. <laughs> don't, don't associate Hoobastank with it. Get that Hoobastank on this song. For me, I think right? we've Hoobastanked this whole episode now. Can't wash off the Hoobastank. Doesn't have a fade out. Oh, interesting. Oh. No fade out. No fade out on this one. So far, it's just that and cool it down. Interesting. Okay, so trading around the bend, I put maybe drunk Bob Dylan. Yeah. It's just, it's like a shitty Bob Dylan song. I I didn't love this. I didn't really love this song. Uh, Oh, sweet sweet nothing. I love this song. This song is incredible. And it's like Uh, like a seven minute song, isn't it? Yeah, it really builds up. I mean, it's just so ahead of its time. Velvet Underground was so good at paving the way and setting a foundation and being seminal and breaking the barrier. And they didn't really do that on this record until this song. This song mm. is so cool. So this song has a very special place for me because the, when I really fell in love with this song was uh, Bri Webb from the Constantines covered this song. Mm. And it was on That's a... That's you sent me. Yeah, it's, it's on a, um, a compilation record. And it was one where it was back in the day when, you know, I, I still have the iPod that I have this MP3 on. But it was one where it's like, you're like, oh, like this band you really like did this cool cover. And, uh, you know, you could only save the MP3 because you're like, it might not be around for a while. And Bri Webb did this like amazing cover of, of this song. And it's just like his voice with this like female vocalist. Like it just, it works so well. And yeah. The build yeah, up. I really, I really enjoyed that version. Um, and and then when I came back to it, listening to this, it's like I agree with you. It's just like the build up of the song, the lyrics, the like, the feel of it. It's just so there. There was an interesting note I made 
on this one where uh, there is an argument made that Oh Sweet Nothing was inspired by Hey Jude, in, in part by how Hey Jude at the time was a very popular song that was kind of longer form. That really um, repeated its chorus and created yeah, this build it's, momentum. It's, it's like Hey Jude with, uh, with like a hairy chest. Oh Sweet Nothing, She Ain't Got Nothing At All. Like it's even just, it's just a bit opaque, but you also kind of get it even without getting it. It's like you're on the edge of it. Like, you know, like, it's like you're not looking at something directly head on. You're looking at it from the side of your eye. Yeah. You know? And that's what the song feels like. Yeah. You're, 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 it's like, but it's deep. And I really feel like Lou Reed's outlook. I just feel like everything I know about Lou Reed is kind of summed up simply in this song. I Yeah, I really love this song. I, I always said... Uh, I always said I thought that a movie should end with this over the credits. This should be a... I wonder, do you think that's ever happened? Has this song ever played like this? Like a camera panning up as the car is driving away on the highway cool. in the desert in Vegas. I just, I think this is such a, a beautiful ending song. I think like, it's almost like you watch a movie and you're kind of like, this movie kind of sucks. And the ending is so good, you're like, uh, maybe the movie was good. Yeah. That's yeah, how this yeah. album feels to me. It's like... This album was good because this song is so good. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, no fade out. Also, no fade out. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. So the three songs with no fade out. Okay. Out of uh, however many songs on this album. So, Kale, I have a question for you. Yeah. What's your zero and hero song uh, lyrics of this record? It's a tough one. So my zero lyrics are also my zero is also my zero song. Yeah. So the my zero song for this record is uh, is who loves the sun, who loves the sun. Yeah, just and I think part of it was because like with repeated listens to this, I felt um, and like this was really my struggle with this record was the the fact that like I know when Lou Reed writes who loves the wind, who cares that it makes breezes, who cares what it does since you broke my heart. Um, ba, 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 who loves the sun? Like, like I know that's the whole setup of the song, but I came to enjoy the song less and less the more and more I listened to this record. Like it was one where yeah. when I, like I would skip it. Like even on the record, I was like, ah, that's like, very fair. You would lift up the needle. I mean, I did it once, but like you know, still it was it was one where I'm like I uh, like I, like I don't hate it. Like I I like the song. And I think it, it speaks to how much I like all the other songs to be like, I'm picking this song. Because I like the Beach Boys, but this song just feels a bit, um, it got a bit grating for me. And mm. I think, uh, I, I wouldn't call out a specific lyric in it, but I would say the, uh, you know, it's like, who loves the rain? Who cares that it makes flowers? Who cares that it makes showers since you broke my heart? It's like, I, I like that. But I'm also like, it's silly. But it's like, I don't mind silly. It's, it's just, very silly. But I just feel like I, uh, I just, I just, I'm just, I just don't really like it that much. What, what's your zero? He's it? almost the entire Lonesome Cowboy Bill song. Come on, but that's the whole point of the Lonesome Cowboy Bill. Oh, I don't know, man. Lonesome Cowboy Bill rides the rodeo. Lonesome Cowboy Bill, you got to see him yodel. Yodel a ho ho. Come on, it's like, that's the whole Ever song. since he was a little lad, loves the rodeo. Bucking Bronx, yeah, sipping wine. You gotta see him go. I just... And all the 10-gallon girls love to hear him go. Sometimes on, like even New Orleans, down well, by the Mardi Gras. You're the same way as me. You're the same way as me. It's, you, this is your Who Loves the Sun. I actually think my zero song 
is Cool It Down. Mm. I just think Cool It Down, the music, the lyrics, it all kind of just sucks. <laughs> just I, I actually think Lonesome Cowboy Bill, if you don't listen to the lyrics, it kind of has, it's kind of fun. It, you kinda, it kind of passes. Cool It Down, I pause. I think like, nope. Really? Why? Why? To me, it feels like uh, just a B-side. It feels like it shouldn't be on the record. And the only part I really like is the chorus. I don't know. I like it. I, I think it's fun. But I, but also, I get it. I get it. I mean, it's that or Lonesome Cowboy Bill. I just, those two from yeah. here. No, I hear you. Lonesome Cowboy Boy, it's divisive for sure. But then you've kind of convinced me on that Who Loves the Sun might be the worst song. I'm sorry. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so in my, my notes that Lucas just saw, one of my consider my considerations for zeros was cool it down. Yeah, so I'm not that far off. You're not that cool far off. Cool it down. Okay, so. Too simple without much substance, but great guitar lines. Yeah. Yeah, there's, yeah. honestly, musically, this, this record's pretty solid, but you also had written down here is that you never knew of Yule. I never knew. I wouldn't, I would have died tomorrow, never knowing. Who is Doug Yule? If someone was like, by the way, before you die, what do you think of Doug Yule? I'd be like, who? Huh? Dead. What? Oil? Oh, by the way, you know Sweet Nothing? He's saying that. Dead. Shock on my face. Oh, I know. Now, you wrote this quote down, and I think this might be the best way to end this conversation. Yeah. This is the coolest band in the world trying to be popular. Mm. That is a very good quote. Because I truly believe that they were already so cool. They were already so cool, they didn't need to make this record. In fact, this record probably couldn't could not exist. And I believe that Velvet Underground's l- legacy would be the same. If you are the Velvet Underground and you have been heralded as like the, one of the coolest bands of a generation, but you're broke, like you're not making any money at all. And I would have done this too. Yes. If so right. so there's a point where they're like, okay, they're signed to a major label that's like, we've got the coolest band in America right now. But they don't have any hits. And one of the things I think that's interesting and that I don't have a ton of context to speak on, so if you're listening to this as a deep Velvet Underground fan, I'm, I'm sure you'll have lots of thoughts on this, but they did a, uh, a couple months residency at Max's Kansas City. And it, that was a bar in New York. And you would pay $3 to get in in 1970 to see the Velvet Underground. Ugh. Like five nights a week. So... I would love to go see the Velvet and, Underground. And those shows were just like... like just so highly regarded by like all these different music magazines. They're like, you got to go see these shows. But it's like that idea of like, how do you have like you have all this coolness? Like you can have all the coolness and hype, but there's a point where you're like, I also got to make be making some money. Like you think if you're Lou Reed, and Lou Reed talks about how he was just completely ground, like a just exhausted from touring. Like he was like, this is such a grind. Like I can't continue to kind of just eke out an existence doing this. You well, know? no, and you got to imagine. Having made an album like uh, Velvet Underground and Nikos, having been like Andy Warhol's musical equivalent, having been like CBGB's band, yeah. like being there, being in. But th- th- those guys were making money. Like the C- like being and to, to be poor, to yeah. be poor. You were poor. Like that was the thing. It's like even for him, it's like yeah, you were a part of Andy Warhol's thing. But even back then. I don't. I mean, I imagine Andy Warhol was making some money off his art, but you're like, they're like, oh yeah, like you're cool and you're buddies with them, but you're also like, you're not making any money. Like you're like, no, it's mind blowing because people now will fly across the world 
to go to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame Annex in New York City. I've been there. It's amazing. You would love it. There's a whole... Uh, you wear headphones the whole time, and every section you walk into, it like triggers the mm -hmm. headphones. And it's got one of Bruce Springsteen's like cars there. Oh, when you yeah. walk in, it just starts playing Thunder Road. Oh, Dude, awesome. a moment in my life I will never forget. It was like... And it's got the CBGB's awning. And people come from all over the world just to touch it. Wow. Touch the awning... Where, you know, Blondie, The Ramones, Suicide, Television. But, like, Velvet Underground are a huge part of the CBGB totally. story. But also because they were like, we're, we want to make something that's popular. Like, also something where they were like, we want to write, like, Lou Reed even being like, I want to write something that's embraced by the masses. In, in, like, not a sellout way, but, like, I want this to exist. Like, I want to be recognized, you know? Yeah. It's it's an interesting thing to think. It's like, the coolest band in the world trying to be popular. I know. It's a very good way to say it. So, what's your hero song of this record then? Uh, I mean, I don't want to say "Oh Sweet Nothing," but it's "Oh Sweet Nothing." From the first second of the song to the end, to the last moments of the end of the record, it's just perfect. I love it. So I wrote down three songs. I wrote <laughs> "Oh Sweet Nothing." Sweet Jane, or I Found a Reason. And I would say those are my favorite three songs. And th those are my favorite three songs. Yeah. And I would say for tonight, I'm saying, you get Oh Sweet Nothing, I'll say I Found a Reason. Because I'm feeling, you know, romantic, and I think it's just uh And I will say, there have been some incredible covers of these songs, too. Like, for the Bri Webb version, um, even I heard a great cover of I Found a Reason recently, and like, it's who, just... by Who? Let me let me we'll have to start doing a uh, Spotify playlist. For yeah, we will. So check check the show notes. We'll have a playlist going of all the songs you've referenced from this episode. Um, but there is a great cover of "I Found a Reason." I, oh yeah, thank you. By the uh, by John Cameron Mitchell and Eyelid. What you vibing? I, what you so, vibing? So, Lucas, I am vibing um, a record that I've had for a while that I put on the other night um, for a little reading session. And let me show it to you here. It is literally called Steam... Railroading under thunder skies, and it's just the sounds of trains under a thundering night sky for two sides of an LP. The dynamic <laughs> sound drama of thunder, lightning, and rain. <laughs> you, wait, wait, wait. I, don't I, I got a picture of this. Your, your vibe, what you're vibing right now is the sounds from what, uh, what uh, year uh, is this record? I think it's from 1969. That's what I'm vibing right now is Thundering Skies, which is a, wow. I, I, I found it weirdly relaxing to listen to yesterday because it just sounds like it wasn't raining, but it just, it's the sounds of rain and then just trains at varying levels. It's great. I'm, I'm really vibing it. What are you, what are you vibing? Uh, I think right now what I'm vibing, um, I'm torn. I wanted to say a few things, but you know, this is old news. But I recently turned a bunch of people on at work because they were saying, oh, there's nothing funny anymore. And I said, you should watch I Think You Should Leave with Tim Robinson. Oh, God. And a bunch of them said, 
okay, I'll watch it. Like, I'll give you, I'll give it to you. I'll, I'll do it. And I was kind of nervous. And everyone showed up at work the next day. And they were all quoting episodes. And they loved it. Everyone was like, I haven't seen anything this funny in years. And I was so proud. Like, I'm so proud of it. Like, telling everyone at work about the show. As if I made it. Yeah. They're like, I loved it. It was hilarious. And I'm like, oh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't make thank it. You. I just it's I'll take credit for it. But uh, I watched a bunch of it again with some coworkers, and I laughed as hard, especially the car uh, steering wheel one. Yeah. Um, anyway, yeah, uh, I think you should leave on Netflix. Great show. Great show. It's old now, but great show. Uh, if you missed the first time, stream it. Yeah, stream it. Um, Kale, I think uh, I'm very excited to keep uh, to keep to keep talking about music. Me too, man. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm glad I'm doing it with you, man. Me too, buddy. Shake my hand. Yeah. Goodbye to the microphone. Goodbye. Oh, yeah. Goodbye. Good night. Farewell. Fairly well. We we might need to edit that one out because I think my parents might listen to this. No, you know what? They'll laugh. Your dad will get the joke. I hope so. I mean, squirtle's a funny word. Doing a shot of that? Picture waking up, going downstairs, and doing a shot of tequila. That's what it feels like. It's disgusting, and it gives all the same adver- uh, the same adverse effects. Your body's like, it warms everything up super fast and too fast, and your body just like lurches. Like, no. Well, I think that's where you'd be better off doing that um, with water. Because then it- and that's another segment of Doctor Kale. <laughs> Drink your apple cider vinegar. Hello, this is Lucas calling. Lucas from Vancouver. What's your issue? Yeah, hey, long-time listener, first-time caller. Uh, I got gout. Do you have any natural remedies? I'm tired of taking these pills. Well, try some apple cider vinegar, but put it in a little bit of a soft uh, Vancouver water first. We should be uh, stand-up sketch comedy guys. Lucas won't be in the video, but... You can see a splotchy, uh, very red-faced version of me (coughs) eating very hot things.